0: added another song that's never to be sung before we uh, have the sermon we've already got hallelujah what a savior on the list that's a no sing right before I preach and now we've added another one to it what a beautiful song and what a beautiful sentiment indeed wonderful to be with you all this morning as we continue this series of lessons that we started last week If you were with us last week, you'll remember that we're studying a new series called uh, Journey Through the Psalms. If you weren't with us, the the, uh, point of this series is that we're looking at the six different types of psalms that you will find as you read through the book of the psalms. And it is um, a beautiful image that we're using, a, a picture of a journey, a travel, a trip. And how each one of these types of psalms is parallel to... A phase in a journey, a part in a trip. Last week, we we used this image right here that's on the screen behind me, and we talked about picturing ourselves in this kind of a scene, And if you put yourself in a picture like this, you can almost begin to, with your imagination, hear the the beautiful sounds of nature and the call of the birds and the rustle of the leaves. You can hear the crunch under your feet. You can feel the breeze and the warmth of the sunlight on the back of your neck. The the smell of flowers wafting through the air. And there's just something beautiful and picturesque and wonderful about um, a trip like this. These are Psalms of Orientation. This is what we talked about last week songs of praise. Times when we know who God is, we identify who He is and what He's doing in our lives, and we can praise Him for all of His goodness. We feel close to Him, we feel His blessings all around us. But the reality is that the journey of life is not always sunshine and roses, the journey of life is not always flowers and easy pathways. In fact, sometimes the journey of life is a very difficult trek. You know, one of my, <clears throat> one, one of the, uh, the things that appeals to me is really meaningful, deep literature. And so whenever I think about things, I often go back to some of my favorite forms of really deep literature. And this is right about my reading level, but you'll remember this from all uh, oh, the places you'll go. And you know, last week was like this. Last week was a beautiful picture, and if this was last week, then using our same source, this is this week. You know, sometimes the journey's not easy. Sometimes it's not all sunshine and roses. The realities of the hardship are real. And today we're going to be looking at psalms of disorientation. Psalms of Times that we're frustrated with God, disappointed by God, and dare I say even angry with God. The statement of the problem is this, there are times in scripture that we read of, especially in the Psalms, people who are upset with God. And I think this is a very relatable thing because if we are honest with ourselves, you will agree with me that there are times in our lives that we find ourselves in very much these same kinds of challenging situations. We're going to be looking at Psalm 69 today. We're going to focus on the first three or four verses here, but we're going to cover most of this psalm in the course of our conversation. Notice with me that what we have here is a situation where the psalmist is going to be talking about some of the problems that he is facing in life. But I would suggest to you that his troubles are not really his troubles. There's something heavier on his heart. Let's read these verses together. They're up here for you, or you may follow along in your Bibles, which I hope you have open in your lap. Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I have come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. This passage begins and ends with bookend statements, wherein I think the psalmist is telling us where his real problem lies. He's facing hardship. He's facing challenges. There's difficulties in his life. But you know what? I think the biggest problem he's facing is the question of where are you, God? Notice how he starts, Save me, O God, which really could be translated, <laughs> Why haven't you saved me? And he concludes by saying, I wait for God, which could easily be rendered, Why aren't you here? You see, the author of this particular psalm is David, and David was a man who very, was very much acquainted with hardship. David understood trouble. David understood challenges of life. He's not finding these challenges to be unexpected. This isn't the first time he's hit a bumpy patch. This is David. David who faced the lion and the bear when he was shepherding the sheep. David who spent years hiding in caves and running from King Saul who wanted to kill him. David who twice was saved from Saul's spear only by inches. The man who has experienced the death of his friends. Uh, he's faced combat. He's faced injury. He's faced the betrayal of his pe- the people closest to him. He's had infidelity among his marriage. He is a person who even stood up to the revolt of his favorite son. He knows trouble. He's not unaccustomed with loneliness and heartache and fear and hunger. He knows trouble. But you see, this psalm isn't really about his problems. His bigger problem is the fact that he doesn't feel like God's showing up. He doesn't feel like God is being God in his life. The same guy who last week as we went through the psalm of praise, the psalm of orientation, psalm 145, this same guy, David, who spent so much time telling us, this is who God is. God is good, and he is majestic, and he is lovely, and he is kind, and he is gracious. And here he says, God, you're all those things. Why aren't you being all those things for me? The same guy, David, who last week told us in Psalm 145, this is what God does. He is protector. He is provider. He is caretaker. He is God, he says here. Why aren't you being God for me? Why aren't you being who you are and doing what you do? You see, I don't think that it's simply David's problems that have him down. I think David is a real deep point of disorientation as he's wondering where is God? Why is God not being God for me? In this psalm, David is talking about being in the deep mire. He's being thrust in the deep mire. And I think that's symbolic for the the kinds of problems that we face in life. And what's interesting to me is, as we go through the rest of this psalm, we're going to see David talk about the kinds of problems that he's facing in his life. And I think you're going to find that they are very, very relatable. I think you're going to find that the kind of problems that David faced are universal, timeless problems. They're the same problems that we face today. They're the same problems that we'll face 100 years from now if humanity continues. These are the similar kinds of things. The mire, the deep mire that he's facing, I would suggest at least three different Uh, forms of trouble he faces. Troubles of the mind, troubles of the body, trouble of the soul. Universal problems. First, he faces trouble of his mind and if you and I will be honest, we do too. We're troubled in our thoughts. We're troubled in our worries, our anxieties. We we can't sleep at night. Our minds race. We think about all the uh, possibilities and all, all the problems that are out there. We conjure up unsettling images of days to come and we think back on our past with regret. Our minds are burdened. Psalm 22 captures it well in verse 2. He says, I cry out, oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer and by night, but I have no rest. You ever been there? Are you there now? Worries, anxieties, fears, darkness seems to be your constant thought. Any sense of hope and trust and confidence seems far away. And to top it off, you wonder, like David did, where are you, God? Why are you letting me deal with this alone? Why aren't you being God to me? David faced problems of his body, the outside world and the impact that it has on us, the way that our bodies physically experience the difficulties of this world, facing a troubling diagnosis or are struggling with the aftermath of a terrible accident or a, a tragic injury or some kind of a dreaded disease, we, we have discomfort that just comes from age. So many things that plague our physical bodies We're restricted from having the life that we want. Great men and women of the Bible have faced this same problem. That you and I face. Paul very famously in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talked about this unnamed physical ailment. We don't know what it was, but he called it his thorn in the flesh. And he begged and pleaded, God, take this away. He probably felt like David feels here. Why won't you show up and take care of this problem? Why am I dealing with this, God? You ever been there? Are you there now? Maybe you or a loved one facing a diagnosis facing a concern a worry and in the middle of that physical trial you feel like god is just so far away that he doesn't notice or worse you wonder if he cares third troubles of the soul troubles of the spirit uh, troubles of our moral nature troubles of our ethic and, and 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 the complexity of what it means you know when you think about it really it's a terrible thing to be in our state <laughs> it really is humanity is just a mess it's just a mess I, I mean here we are this physical being this spiritual being we're jammed into this one thing a spiritual being wrapped in a physical uh, clothing and and we're thrust into this physical world with all the troubles that it has with all the temptation and all the habits and all the addictions and all the attractions and all the desires and it swirls around us constantly And I think Paul captures it so powerfully in Romans chapter 7. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. And for what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. I do not do the good that I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul's just sums it up. He says, you know what? It's hard to be a human. It is hard to be a spiritual being in a physical body. It is hard to deal with the complexity of a two-part nature. And he says, I'm just a wretched man. And i got to have somebody save me from this. It's almost as if it feels like God's really far away. It almost feels like in Paul's words that he's saying who's going to help me? I'm a mess. God, where are you? You ever been there? Are you there now? Do you find yourself in spiritual turmoil wondering why God doesn't show up? Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. What has been will be and what will be has already been. What he means there is that the same kind of things that David was facing, the same kind of things that Paul was facing, are the same kind of things that we're facing. And we also find ourselves in situations just like he feels. And what a dismal picture we've painted. Attacked in body, attacked in mind, attacked in spirit. We find ourselves like Paul saying, I'm a wretched mess and I need God to come help me. And he feels far away. In this psalm, David gives some specificity to some of the things that he's facing. Troubles of his mind, troubles in his attitude, the way he's thinking and his outlook. He says in verse 5 that he's dealing with foolishness. Foolishness in the psalms and in the Proverbs, the wisdom literature of the Bible. Foolishness is doubt. David says, even with all that I've experienced in in my walk with you, God, I'm suffering from doubt. It plagues me. He says in verse seven that he's resentful. He's resentful because he says, "God, I'm doing all the right things, and I'm doing everything for you, and everybody's heaping reproach upon me." And he says, "My mind is burdened with all of these things." His body—he's burdened in his body. Trouble from the outside world. He talks about in verse four how there are enemies that are pursuing him, and he's constantly faced with these this oppression from others and how they in verse 4 bring their injustice to bear upon him and he says you know all these forces outside of me are acting upon me God and in my soul he says in verse 5 my sins are not hidden he knows his sins are there in a different psalm he says that my sins are ever before me he says everywhere i look i'm just reminded of my sins i just realize what a terrible person i am i'm constantly verse 7 i'm constantly living in shame he says, look at the way I'm plagued. I'm, I'm living in this constant state of shame and, and, and sin. And God, you feel far away. The process of disorientation and working through disorientation is something that I think we can learn from this psalm and from psalms like these. These psalms give us permission to name these realities before God. And what we're going to see is they're going to move us through a process. They're going to move us from request to trust. And they're going to move us through request in a couple of phases. They're going to open up the possibility of honest complaint. Where we can tell God exactly what we're upset about. And through that we can come to true confession recognizing what we need to do different, and we're going to find that we have opportunity to give assertions. Sometimes we're going to say, God, I don't think I'm guilty. And sometimes we're going to have those heavy words, God, I don't think you're here for me. And through it, what we're going to see in this psalm and the psalms like it is that we can find resolution, that we can find An avenue to share with God and to grow a relationship that will be deeper and more beautiful and more meaningful than anything we could have imagined. Now here's a couple of things we need to know about this. Oftentimes, when it comes to these psalms, we readily recognize that there's a psalm for every season of life. Wherever you are, whatever you're struggling with, whatever you're joyfully experiencing, wherever you are in life, there is a psalm for you. One of the problems is we often turn to the wrong ones at the wrong time. We often turn to the wrong ones at the wrong times. When we're in a period of disorientation, we're in a period of frustration, we're in a period of disappointment and we feel like God's far away, it stands to reason that we would refocus on psalms of praise, psalms of orientation, right? Psalms about how good God is. Well, yes, we should, and maybe not at first. Let me explain what I mean. We do need to refocus on God, absolutely. But there'll be a time for that. I think one reason that we don't gain from these psalms is because we avoid the ones that are hard. And frankly, this is a psalm that is hard. But let me explain to you how I think this works in our lives in a beautiful way. Let's say that I'm dealing with a deep, dark bout of depression. And I'm so burdened. And I'm filled with swirling doubts. And I'm filled with all kinds of sadness. And the world just seems dark. And, and God seems far away. And I do... All the things that I should do. And I turn to Scripture and I open into Scripture and I come to the Psalms and I come to this Psalm. And I find myself connecting with David's hurt. He says, shame has covered my face. And I say, you know what? I feel like that too. He says, I've unjustly borne reproach. And, and I say, I-, I feel that way too. He says, I've stolen nothing, but I'm made to repay. And I say, I I feel that way. Injustice, I feel that. I understand that, David. I'm there with you. He says, I feel like the song of drunkards, which I just love that line. That's such a fun line. What that means is that even the drunks make up stories about how bad you have it. And I say, I'm there, David. I feel that with you. And suddenly I feel a lot worse. (laughs) That didn't help at all. All that did was make me even more depressed. But that's not the purpose of this psalm. The purpose of this psalm is not to heap on top of us sadness and depression and frustration and anger. Because we need to read all the way through it and see what David learned from this psalm. The point of this psalm is to help people see that they are invited to bring these concerns directly before Almighty God. To honestly make unguarded statements of complaint, and concern, and worry. When we experience times of distress, when we experience times of challenge and hardship, times of suffering and and plagued with guilt and filled with sin, these are the times that it's often easy for us to feel like God is far away, that God is absent. And these psalms give us permission to just voice that reality to God. Now, let me explain something. I'm not talking about complaining for the sake of complaining. I'm talking about complaint for the sake of resolution. But think about how special that is. We are given permission to come into the presence of Almighty God and fuss and fume and gripe and complain share whatever the hardships of our life are at that time. And I would suggest to you that not only is it beneficial for our souls, it is deeply powerful for our relationship. Our relationship with God I'll give you an illustration I don't know if it'll be a good one but it makes sense to me I've been blessed by my children in so many wonderful ways they have made me feel treasured and honored and they have made me feel close and they've made me feel appreciated and I have been so so blessed by them in so many wonderful ways I've had them say nice things about me. I've had them give me statements of compliment and and, and adoration. And those are wonderful. But you know, one of the things that have made me feel the closest and most treasured, ironically, are times that they've been mad at me, disappointed in me, frustrated. I, I I remember very vividly a scene not too long ago when one of my children was so furious with me, just angry Fists just tight, face tight, tears streaming down face, yelling at me about how unfair this was, how unfair I was, how unfair the world was. Just angry. I dropped to my knees. They collapsed into my chest and just began to beat my chest with their little fists. As I wrapped my arms around them, sat down until they just fell asleep in my arms. And I don't know that I've ever felt as close to one of my children as I did in that moment. It was precious. For all the kind words and birthday cards and best wishes that I've ever received from my kids, I wouldn't trade that moment for any of them because I felt so honored that they came to me with such a sincere reality of their experience and they entrusted me with something so personal and so deep. What if that's the lesson of the song? What if that's part of what David is trying to help us to understand? What if that's part of what God wants these psalms to mean for our life? Is it possible that one of the obstacles between us and God, between us and the relationship that we want to have with God, better yet, between us and the relationship God desperately wants to have with us, what if one of the obstacles there is that we can't share with Him our true feelings? We can't share with Him our frustrations. We can't share with Him our disappointments. We can't talk to Him about the times that we don't think He's fair we don't think he's there I wonder if this psalm and psalms like it are kind of God's way of dropping to his knees opening his arms and inviting us to bury our head in his chest and beat him with our little fists as we just cry and cry and cry until he wraps us in his love and holds us in his love I'd like to think that that's what this psalm is about and I think that's one of the unseen beauties of a psalm like this How do we do that? I think this almost gives us a really good pattern to follow. I think there are some steps that we can look at and I think that what we have here on the screen is the beginning of what that looks like. To take a request in the form of honest complaint, true confession, assertion of innocence or assertion of absence, and to arrive at the point of trust and hope. Let's start with the request. We have to make a request. Isn't it amazing to think that God has invited us to make our request known to God? Philippians chapter 4, make your request known to God. Just this morning as we were talking in the auditorium class, we were talking about making our request known to God in prayer, asking anything, talking about everything, bringing everything before him, uh, praying without ceasing. How incredible it is that we've been given that honor. The God of the universe sits on the edge of his throne and says, come talk to me. And the Hebrew writer says, come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in times of our trouble. We know these things, but you know what we often do is we put the little caveat on it that says, as long as you talk about nice things in nice ways. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that. I think, in fact, the Bible says that it's okay and even good For us to be honest about those things that are dark and heavy, frustration and disappointment. But sometimes we don't feel like that's okay. David did. David was called a man after God's own heart and David was very pointed with God about his frustrations. David was called a man after God's own heart and he made no bones about the fact that he said to God, I'm disappointed, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, and I don't think you're being God to me. And I think David found a resolution, David found a relationship that he couldn't have possibly found in any other way. And I think maybe it's an obstacle that we've found as well. You know, when Paul said bring our requests, I don't think he put a qualifier on it, nor should we. Sometimes they come out as honest complaints, or true confessions, or strong assertions. First, honest complaints. You know, we have this idea we should keep a stiff upper lip. That everything we should do, we should never complain. Don't complain to anybody. Don't ever, you know, vent your concerns. But David complained to God. He complained to God honestly, and he complained to God openly. He said, this is happening in my life, and I don't like it one bit. Now, again, we're not talking about complaining for the sake of complaining. We're not talking about blaming God for something that he hasn't done. But we're talking about being clear and honest about the concerns that we're having. And I think David, by his example, invites us to share our complaints to God. Sometimes they're in the form of complaint. sometimes they're in the form of confession. I know you've never been in this situation, but I have once or twice been in a heated conversation with Sue Darby, And I will get to that point in that heated conversation that some might call an argument. And I will arrive at this conclusion that he's right. Now, what I do from that point forward, I'm not going to tell you because I'm not proud of it. Because generally I double down and go harder. But what I should do in that moment is recognize I'm wrong. But here's my point. If I had not engaged in that conversation to the point of being able to look deeply within myself, I would not have realized... I really am the fault. I really am the problem. And if I'm a good person at that moment, I can confess that. You see, the venting of, the sharing of our concerns can lead us to a realization of our faults, When we share with God our concerns, when we share with God our complaints, we often will find that we are to blame. We have contributed. We are a part of the problem. But we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't gone through the process, if we didn't get on our knees and plead with God, if we didn't get on our knees and share our frustrations with God so that we could look at it deeply in the mirror and realize, I am sorry, I am wrong, and I need forgiveness. You know, sometimes I think that one of the great blessings of complaining to God is having God show us that we are our own problem and open those loving arms to say, are you ready? Are you ready to change? True confession. How many of my complaints in life might lead to confession if I allow my words to come before God? Third, We might find that our request takes the form of assertion. Sometimes we assert, as David did frequently in the Psalms, where he says, God, I haven't done anything wrong. He says, I have not stolen. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't broken your laws. I haven't done anything wrong, and yet I'm facing these kinds of concerns. And I'm I'm asserting, God, that I am innocent, and I'm asking you to come to my aid. Sometimes the assertion takes the form of feeling like God is absent. God is far away. And we read David frequently saying, God, why are you so far from saving me? Why are you so distant? Why are you turning your back on me? Why aren't you coming to my aid? And if we talk it out, and we share it, we can begin to process it. Let me ask you this. With your spouse, which of these two models is going to bring you closer in relationship. One, you feel they're cold or distant, you feel they're far away, you feel they don't care, so you decide I'm going to press it down, I'm going to push it into the deep recesses of my soul, I'm never going to speak about it, I'm never going to talk to this person about it. And it just slowly seething, cancerous kind of growth in the bottom of your very being destroying and eroding your relationship or you say to that person that you love desperately i don't think you're treating me fairly i don't like the way this is going i don't like what's happening here i want to voice my displeasure i want to voice my disappointment and we get it out and we share it and we heal and we resolve and we grow closer in our relationship i think that's what david's doing I think David is coming to God with a clear and and heartfelt appeal and saying, This is how I feel, God. I feel that you're far away. And I don't want to press it down in the recesses of my soul until it erodes our relationship because our relationship is important to me. And I want to have a relationship with God and I want to have a relationship with you and I want us to be strong in our relationship. And so I want to bring you my true, honest complaints. And I want to bring you my honest, heartfelt confessions. And I want to come to you when I feel disappointment and I want to come to you when I feel like things are unfair. And I want to tell you when I feel like you should be acting on my behalf. Why? Because my relationship with you, God, matters. I want to be close to you. David wanted to be close to God. And it came out in the way he talked to God. And it came out in Resolution. David came boldly with these requests and God brought him through to resolution. The psalm ends with some of these verses. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me up on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you, you who seek God, your hearts shall live. For the Lord hears the poor. He does not despise the prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell there and possess it. And the descendants of his servants shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. Do you remember how it started? Where are you? Why aren't you here? I'm disappointed in you. I'm frustrated with you. Why aren't you being God to me and how does it end? Let the heavens and earth praise. He found resolution. He found trust. He found confidence. He deepened his relationship. He found hope. Is it possible that one of the obstacles between me and and the relationship I want to have with God, more true, the relationship He wants to have with me, is found in my resistance to come honestly and openly to bear my soul before Him. To bring my screaming little childlike hurt, bury my head in His chest and beat sorrowfully as he wraps his arms of love around me and brings me to a point of resolution. So, at this point in the lesson, I would typically say, here is what I want you to do this week. Go home and read this passage or say this prayer or do these things or journal on this or reflect on this thought. But this is a deeply personal topic. And I don't know what you need to do with this lesson. I don't know what the conversations are you need to have with God. So I'll just leave it at this. What does this psalm say to you? Where does this psalm lead you? What conversations do you need to have with God? What resolution are you hungering for in your soul? How can the relationship between you and God be strengthened by opening to God the full truth of your hurts and challenges let's pray dear God we want desperately to grow in our relationship with you God we know that you are a God of love and we know that your care for us is unending and we know that we are so filled with sin and we know that we are in so many ways falling short constantly of what you would have us to be. And yet you relentlessly, ruthlessly pursue us in relationship, God, and we don't understand why. God, we know that sometimes the challenges of life are just so hard and we become embittered and we we often feel that you should be doing more. We feel that you are distant from us, God, and we just pray desperately that you would open to us the reality that we can come to you with these concerns. We can lay them at your feet. That we can humbly understand that you see and love and care and are involved in all things, even when it seems that you're far away. Help us, Lord, to grow in our relationship with you, to bring you our true and honest complaints, to to fall before you with our heartfelt confessions, and to hold up those times that we feel that the world and life and situations are just unfair and that we need you. Bless this, Lord, this psalm to our understanding, and may we apply it to our relationship with you, and it's in your son's name that we pray, amen. Let the heavens praise him, let earth praise him, the seas and everything that moves in it, for God will save Zion. Those words in verse 34 and 35 are particularly poignant, because for as many of us that have put on Jesus Christ in baptism, we can know that truth in a profound and beautiful way. That we can bring up our praise before God, that we can hold up him, hold His glory up high as we understand what He has done for us as He has indeed made possible a way that we can have that relationship with Him that we so desperately want. Because He loved us enough to send His own Son, a perfect sacrifice, in place of a worthless, terrible, tragic failure of a person like me, and like you. And the blood that cleanses us, the blood with which we are washed in the waters of baptism, brings us that hope of glory, that confidence of eternity. You know, every time that we have the opportunity, we never tire of extending that invitation to anyone who's never put on Jesus Christ, made Him the Lord of their life, turned from a past sinful life to a new creation in His love. And this morning, if you've not taken that step, or if we can help you in any way on your journey, we want you to know our leaders meet right here in the back of this room, and we would love to meet with you during this song, to pray with you, to see how we could be of service to you moving forward in your journey with Him. If we can help in any way, won't you make that known as we stand together and sing,